Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and we're actually doing things a little different this morning, so I'm so glad you're here. We are in week two of our Struggle is Real series, and we're looking at something that I think all of us struggle with, if we were to be honest, and that is hurry in our lives. In fact, just by show of hands, how many of us at some point this morning in getting here felt hurried at some capacity? Just raise your hand. Yeah, going to be late for the train, going to be late for the whatever, going to be late for the service. Oh my gosh, I talked to someone last week at our kid's school who came to church a couple times late and had to sit in our overflow uh, room, which by the way, for those of you in overflow, hi, how are you? And she like grabbed me by the shoulder and said, we are never going to be late again. And I'm like, yep, I get it. Uh, we feel and face hurry on a very real level uh, in lots of different ways in our lives. And in fact, I, I want us just so we can kind of level the playing field a little bit, just I want us to be honest about how we face it and what we do about it. So we're going to do a little pop quiz. Now, this is the easiest pop quiz you're ever going to take. All you have to do is raise your hand if this is true of you in the last 30 days, how you might know that you are wrestling with, struggling with hurry more than you might realize. All right. So if this is true of you in the last 30 days, all you got to do is raise your hand. So in the last 30 days, if when at an elevator or a crosswalk, you push the button more than once. <laughs> Raise your hand. Yes, because you know those things work by demand. Is the more you hit it, the faster they're going to get to you. That's right. Okay, raise your hand if it's true. At some point in the last 30 days, you've complained about Wi-Fi speed somewhere, right? Maybe it's at a Starbucks. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's at work. Yeah, we just because you know Wi-Fi too. The more you yell at it, the faster it gets. All right. Uh, quick question. Now that we're going to get a little bit more honest, a little bit more real. How many of us in the last 30 days? When you've come to a stoplight, have used that time to check your email, Facebook, Instagram, awesome. I want you to keep your hands up. The rest of you, when you leave today, just give them some space in their car. You want to you wanna just be at least a couple car lengths behind them. All right, this is one. How many of you, just by show of hands, this is not, I mean, this is something to be, maybe even be proud of. How many of you in the morning can go from pillow to presentable in 30 minutes or less. How many of you can go from Phil? You are amazing. Okay, no, 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 okay, wait. Now let's get really honest. How many of you did that this morning? All right, just wanna say, hey, and you look great. You look fantastic, that's a great thing. All right, now a little bit more honest. How many of us have found at some point in the last 30 days, you found yourself saying, I just wish I had more time. I just wish I had more time. And we usually kind of say it in exhausted tones. I just wish there was more time for this. I just wish there was more time for that. See, we live in a day, and this is really amazing to consider. We live in a day where we can actually do anything. There, I mean, like anything is possible, but we also believe that not only can we do anything, we believe we can do everything. And so we try and fit it all in. And what ends up happening is our lives tend to become more filled with hurry day in and day out. We're worried that there's just not enough time to get it all done, to get everything done. We're worried that it, we won't be able to kind of fit it all in. We're worried that we won't be able to sort of connect the dots between work and life and family. We're worried that there's just simply not going to be enough. And we're worried that if we ever even had the time, we don't even necessarily know what we do with it. See, what hurry is, and I wrote this down to kind of help me frame this better for my week. Maybe you might want to as well, that Hurry, in its simplest terms, is worry in motion. That's what hurry is. 
Hurry is worry in motion. Hurry is taking your worry and doing something about it. Move faster. Try and cram more in. Try and book meetings you know, right up to each other, even cross over if I have to. Hurry is what worry looks like when it's actually in motion in our lives. Hurry is worry sort of packaged and paraded as pseudo-productivity. Let me say that again. Hurry is worry packaged and even paraded as pseudo-productivity. As long as I'm moving fast, at least it looks like I'm getting something done. I can convince myself that I'm getting something done. And so what we end up doing is acting out on our fear of scarcity. Hurry is how we act out on our fear of scarcity, specifically as it relates to time. There's just not enough time. So we ramp it up and we go faster and faster and faster at the sake of our soul. Years ago, I read a book by a mentor of mine, a friend to our church, John Ortberg, and the book is called The Life You've Always Wanted, The Life You've Always Wanted. He talks about hurry, this epidemic of hurry in our culture, and he cites three things that happen to us when we kind of give into and live into a cycle of hurry for our lives. First thing he says that happens is we have a decreased capacity to love those around us. We have a decreased capacity to love those around us. When you're constantly moving in a state of hurry, you are less able to love those. In fact, when you're in a state of hurry and someone comes into your life with a very real need, what is your response to them? Oftentimes we see them as a uh, intrusion to manage as opposed to an invitation to love. When we're constantly moving at that pace. Second thing he says that hurry actually leads to more shallow lives. <laughs> That when you're constantly moving that fast, the depth of your life erodes and gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You don't give yourself the time. You don't tend to take the time to think about, to reflect on what actually really matters in life. And we forget that the depth of character and the kind of spiritual life we want with God does not happen in a hurry. That this is a God who loves to take his time to grow what matters most in our soul. Lastly, he says that hurry destroys passion. That we become a slave to our schedule, slave to that worry that we put in motion, and it destroys our God-given passion. We become driven, but by all the wrong things. And we miss the things that actually matter most. And we end up feeling more overwhelmed by life than we do empowered by God. Ever felt any of the effects of hurry in your life. See that play out ever in your life. I know I do. I do. On a weekly basis, I feel it. And years ago, uh, John Orberg, who wrote that book, The Life You've Always Wanted, was feeling that. Feeling overwhelmed, feeling just there's not enough time. And, and so he called a mentor of his, a guy named Dallas Willard. And he said, Dallas, I just, I, man, I'm having a hard time kind of connecting all the dots here. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like there's just not enough time. There's too many demands on my life. And so he said to Dallas, he goes, can you just tell me like one thing that I can do to kind of declutter my life and kind of make my life more simple? What's one thing I can do? And then he says, he's like, do you mind just like real quick, what's one thing I can do? And so you see where this is going. And so Dallas said to John, he said, he paused, first of all, like obnoxiously long pause and said, John, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, and you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry 
from your life. You can't sort of work around hurry. You can't out-hustle hurry. You'll never be fast enough. You'll never win fighting that battle. And the struggle is not only real against hurry, but the stakes are actually your soul. The stakes are your soul. So it matters because over time, what hurry can do is hurry actually hurts your soul. It diminishes, as we talked about a minute ago, your capacity to love. It depletes your soul and can even defeat your soul. A spiritual mentor of mine describes it this way and reflecting on her life, that our lives are like a jar of river water. This is some Chicago river water. God only knows what's in this jar. And that our lives are like a jar of river water, just scooped straight up from the river and all the demands of the day. And that our lives tend to be the swirling, hurrying, worrying about. And it's hard for us to even discern or to tell what matters and what doesn't. It's hard for us to keep our commitments and our passions and our priorities and the people that actually matter most to us because it's all swirling and twirling about. And the reality of your life and mine is that the water is your soul. And nothing matters more to God than your soul. And the longer we keep moving at this pace, the less we will hear from God and the less we will actually live life the way God created and intended us to live. The struggle is real and the stakes are your soul. And so for the next moment, we're just going to stop to understand where our soul is even at right now. We don't tend to do this a lot in our culture in our day, but we're going to stop and just say, okay, Lord, where is my soul at right now in this moment? In fact, hundreds of years ago, when the Methodist denomination was forming, the Methodists would gather together, and there was a question they asked each other at the gathering in the beginning of every meeting. Every time they would gather, they would look each other in the eye, and they would say to each other, how is it with your soul? And we don't do that in our day. We just say, what's up? How's it going? Or just a nod sometimes is all. We've kind of lost the art of asking a good question. Every time they would see each other at a Methodist gathering, they'd say, how is it with your soul? How is it with your soul? And so for the next few moments, we're going to sit with that question. How is it with your soul right now today? So that we can open ourselves up to God and actually begin to live the life God created and intended and is inviting you to live. You got to start where you're at. How is it? How is it with your soul right now today? And so the band's just going to play for a moment and we're actually going to do something. We're going to be quiet and we're going to be still. And I'd encourage you, if you have a phone, turn it off, put it away for the next moment. That's not going to help you get the answer you need for this question. And you certainly don't want to be the person that, whose phone goes off while people are praying and put that away. And if that's a hard time for you to answer, how is it with your soul? We made it real easy. We'll just put it up on the screen this question. All you have to do is fill in the blank. My soul is blank. And you fill in the words tired, overwhelmed, at peace, anxious. You know why, but maybe you haven't paid attention to what is really going on in your soul and what's swirling and twirling about. Will you just take the next moment to let all the elements and sediments settle down in your soul so that we can actually hear together from God this morning? So take the gift of this time and ask that great question, how is it with my soul?
Isn't it interesting what happens when we take a moment and just ask the intentional question, what's going on in my soul? How is it with my soul? How fast have I been moving? How full has my life been that I have not been attentive to the thing that actually matters most? And we're going to talk just for a moment about how it is that we learn to fight a better battle than just struggling against hurry in our lives, that God has actually created you for and invited you into a better battle. In fact, what we're going to look at here over the next moment is something that God created for you and he created you for. It's a part of how we live our lives with God. And if we're ever going to sort of do battle with the hurry that we face in our life, we're not going to do it by battling against hurry. We're going to do it by battling for rhythm in our lives. The battle is not against hurry. It's actually for rhythm in your life, learning to live and actually creating a way of life where you can live in rhythm, in connection with God every day, every week, every month, every year of your life, that you are not a victim to the hurry of your life. You can actually make a better way. The battle is for rhythm in your life. In fact, this is how God creates everything that he creates, is to live in rhythm with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but everything that God has created, everything God creates, everything God will create, actually is created to live in rhythm with him. Think about it. Even from the very beginning of the creation story, God created Day and night, do you see that there's a rhythm to the two, that every day has a day and a night, that that there is a time for the daylight where we kind of go out and we do what we do and we kind of do what we need to do in the world, and then there's nighttime, which is where we come in and we're with each other and then we ultimately rest. God created each day actually to work in sort of a rhythm with him. God created the seasons to work in rhythm, and this has been happening since the very creation of the world. Every single year, our world lives in a rhythm of seasons. There are specific things that only can happen within those seasons the way they are intended to. There is spring for new life to grow, summer for life to just be enjoyed, fall is when things begin to change and prepare themselves for winter, and then after winter is winter. And then after that, winter, (laughs) that's kind of the reality we know, but eventually it will be spring. And we see that even every year lives in rhythm with God, that everything God creates, he creates to live in rhythm. In fact, even your week was intended, your everyday ordinary week was intended to live in a rhythm of connection with God. In fact, I want to just paint a picture of what this looks like, and it's found in the Old Testament, so we're going to kind of go old school today, back to the book of Exodus chapter 20. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open it to Exodus chapter 20? If not, there should be a a Bible in your seat back. Why don't you grab that, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Let me give you some quick context. In the Gray Bibles, it's page 52. That might help you get there faster, kind of all the way back to the left. Page 52 in the Gray Bible, Exodus chapter 20. God is giving the newly liberated, out of Egypt people of God a way of living life with him. And God gives them something amongst many other kind of things that God gives them to live their life with him, a thing called the Ten Commandments. You've heard of this, yes? Ten Commandments, all of us probably have. In fact, you don't even have to call yourself a Christian or even consider yourself to be all that religious to say that your life probably at some level aligns or at least affirms with the Ten Commandments, right? We would agree, murder, bad, right? 
stealing bad, lying bad, right? Making idols and worshiping them bad and, and just kind of weird in our day and age, right? But there's one commandment that is a part of the original Ten Commandments and a part of the way of life with God that we tend to believe, or at least we live like we believe, God doesn't take as seriously as the rest. And that is the idea of Sabbath, this idea of a day of rest to be with God and to live every week in rhythm of presence with God. And so I want to just paint the picture of the idea of Sabbath and then how we might incorporate that into our lives. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. God says this, in the midst of giving the people of God a way of living life with him, he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, by keeping it special, by keeping it set apart, by keeping it like, like unlike every other day in your week. There's this idea of this day of Sabbath, this day of rest and presence with God that God actually in this day is commanding his people to live by. Verse 9, he gets very specific about the Sabbath. Six days you shall go and labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. Oh, amen. Neither you nor your son or daughter or male or female servants, your animals shouldn't do any work, no foreigners residing in your home. Like, he gets very specific. Like, this is for everyone. And this is how we fight the battle for rhythm in our life. We make space for God, and God, in this case, talks about a day to do it, because here's why. Verse 11, going all the way back to the beginning of the story, when God created everything to live in rhythm with him. Exodus 20, verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he what? But he rested on the seventh day. And therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, this is not a talk about whether these were a literal seven days or not. That's, that's irrelevant, actually, because what God is doing here is establishing a pattern, a rhythm, a way of life. The God who did not need to rest created rest for the rest of us. He said, I'm going to create into even the rhythm of creation. I'm going to bake into it this idea of Sabbath, this idea of rest, this idea of stopping and being still. How many by show of hands have heard that phrase, that idea of Sabbath before? Now, by show of hands, how many of us say we really honor it like God intended us to? Yep. All right. You and me afterwards. Let's talk about that because that's not most of us, right? We tend to take the rest of them seriously, but this one we don't for some reason. And what is it that God has for us in this idea of Sabbath? That God says, no, 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 I know, I know what you need. You need a rhythm of rest. There's a time to work, and then there's a time to not work. There's a time to be out and about in the world, and then there's a time to be at home and in and alone even with me. God did this because he knows yours and my, he knows our tendency to hurry. And ultimately, it's because he cares about your soul, the thing that matters most. Now, as I was studying and preparing for our time this weekend, read a lot about Sabbath and this whole idea, and oh my goodness, the amount of Christian trolls on the internet is astounding to me. And every article I read had someone in the comments saying, well, that's the old covenant, and Jesus came and obliterated the old covenant, so we don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. That's part of the old way with God. Jesus gave us a new way, and so every day is Sabbath day. Listen, I'm not, I don't want to argue with, I don't want to argue with that person at all. That's great. That's a valid point. Yes, Jesus came to establish a new way with God. Yes, we are not bound to this as a command or a law, but what if we saw it less as that and more of an invitation? That God is inviting you. God created a rhythm all the way back to creation before there were commandments. At creation, God established an invitation to rhythm. 
with him, to rest, to even just take a day and say, this is for God. This is just for me to be at rest in the presence of God. It sounds delightful, doesn't it? And it feels impossible, doesn't it? If we were to be really honest, because we live in a world that does not honor the Sabbath day. We live in a world that has blurred all the lines of rhythm that God established since the very creation of the world. In fact, there's two amazing and astounding breakthrough inventions that have made the battle for rhythm that much more challenging and difficult in the world that we live in today. Two things that have greatly changed our world in amazing ways, but have made it that much harder for us to really establish and fight for a rhythm with God. Does anyone want to take a guess at what those two things are? First thing, no, okay, well, I'll tell you anyway. First thing is this. 135 years ago, we invented the light bulb. Powerful, amazing, oh my goodness, power to the people, literally. Like we can actually see now and have amazing, amazing opportunities provided to us by the invention of the electric light bulb. But do you know what happened the day this was invented and installed into homes again, again, and again, and all throughout the world? We blurred the line between day and night. And now the things that were meant to be done during the day that God established for us to accomplish during the day now kind of drag on and can go actually through the night. And we've created a whole new breed of people called night people. And maybe you're a night person and that's the only time you really feel like you're productive or creative or can get anything done because it's actually finally quiet in the house and everyone's asleep and that's your time to be productive. And maybe that is kind of how you're wired. But what's happened is with the invention, this amazing invention, what we did is we blurred the lines of rhythm between day and day and night, and we lost a sense of when things are actually supposed to come to an end in our day, and when rest enters the rhythm of our life. One more thing that I bet you might have guessed is this. Once these got smart, it changed everything. (laughs) Our dumb phones were fine for a while. But now that literally the world is in my back pocket at any moment, it has completely blurred the lines. It has blurred the lines between work and rest. It has blurred the lines between off and on. I have access to anything in the world that I want at any time. If I want to know what day Russell Crowe was born on, I can find that out right now if I wanted to. I don't have to learn anything. I can just have everything. And while this is an incredible invention, an incredible breakthrough, changed the world, changed how I work, changed my life, my hunches probably changed yours. Guess what else it did? It blurred the lines. And what it did is it created a culture, and now it is all over the world. We've actually created a culture of people who are always on call. It used to just be doctors and EMTs that were on call in case of emergencies, but now on call is our way of life. At any given moment, work can interrupt your life, or you can invite it in. In fact, my hunch is, no judgment, no shame here, you've probably checked your email at some point today through your phone. No shame, no judgment there, but isn't it interesting that on a day where maybe you'd want to rest and your soul would actually like to just go to church and kind of be still and actually drink your coffee in the sanctuary, thank God for the wisdom of this church that allows coffee in the auditorium, and then like you just want to have some space and some time, and yet this is with you, and it's blurred the lines, and it's even compromised and corrupted the space that you set aside to be sacred. Isn't that amazing? 
Incredible invention, nothing wrong with this, but we just have to be aware that it is, the struggle is that much more real for rhythm in our life. We're going to have to work sort of that much harder to really actually have rhythm in our life. And could it be that your soul has actually been crying out and calling out for this, but we're so distracted and we're so present other places rather than right here where we are with God that we miss it? So what would it look like for you to sort of radically revolutionize the way that you create rhythm in your life? To say, no, God, I'm going to create space for you. I think if you're anything like me, I have this sort of wishful thinking desire that if, only, if I could just find a little bit more time, I would give it to God. If I could find a little bit more time, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I could kind of wring the towel of my life out and get a couple more drops of more time, then I would give it to God. And yet I think if we were to be really, really honest, the truth is, is that you, you may never, listen, in your life and the demands and the way your life's set up, you may never find time for God. But you can always actually make time for God. You may magically never find time for God. It, that may happen. But anyone, anyone can always make time for God. We make time for a thousand other things. We can actually make and create space, making time for God. Because the reality is, if we were to find time, think about it. Last time you had a flight that was delayed, what was your first response? Other than anger and and wanting to make that person behind the desk who had nothing to do with it pay for the sins of the world. What was, (laughs) after that, your next response was, maybe flip open the laptop, pull out the phone. Now I have a chance to get more work done. My hunch was it wasn't, I need to find that sanctuary chapel that they have in the airport and go and spend time with God. My, my sense is we're just not wired that way. When we do find time, we fill it with everything else except the thing that matters most. So what would it look like for you this week to actually make time for God? I want to offer a couple suggestions, a couple things that you can actually do incorporate into your week to say, no, I, this matters. My soul matters. So I'm going to make time to be with and to be present with God. So just a couple thoughts you might want to jot down. Let's look at your week this week. What would it look like to, as we just looked at from Exodus 20, to actually say, I am going to make, I'm not going to find, I'm not going to hope. I'm going to make time a day for God, a Sabbath. I'm going to actually do it this week. I'm actually just going to try it by an experiment. I'm going to make Saturday my Sabbath, or I'm going to make Monday. I don't know what your work schedule is like, and it may change every week, but I bet you could find at least half a day. I bet you could make a time where you say, I am carving this out. Nothing else is going to interrupt this time with me and God. For Jean and I, that day comes on Saturday. We have two days off, Friday and Saturday. And Friday we use to get kind of all of our Stevens Family Inc. stuff done and you know, get laundry and get stuff done in the house while the kids are at school so that when Saturday comes, we can be present. We can pull away if we need to. I mean, come Saturday morning, I'm in official Sabbath uniform, which is sweatpants and flip-flops. That's how I go to work on my Sabbath. Because that's a time I go, I know my soul needs to rest, needs to settle, needs to be still. And it's challenging in different seasons of life for different reasons. You may have a job that, you know, kind of doesn't really have a set schedule, and so you're going to have to figure out how to really work around it. You may be in a season with kids where it's like, Oh God, if I could have five minutes, that would feel like a day. So you need to fight and make that time and work with your spouse. If you have a spouse, work with them and say, okay, how can we help each other honor a space, a time, a day for God this week? Not out of some command 
or guilt or obligation, but out of the invitation that my soul so desperately longs for. So this week, what, what if you actually really tried it this week? I mean, really tried it. And you told your friends, and you told your spouse, you told your partner, you told your roommates, hey, I'm going to actually do this. Will you help me with this? Will you hold me to this? Will you help me go off the grid? Will you help me hide my phone from myself? Will you help me do whatever I have to do to really just take time? And during that time, here's the great thing. You can just delight in God. I want to be really clear about this. You can pray, you can walk, you can do one of the most spiritual things that, and something I've become very good at. You can nap. You can do, like there's a lot of different ways for you to connect with God. And I would say whatever your soul most resonates with and you get most excited about when you think about having some time that you've made with God, then I would encourage you, do that. Do that. So that's this week. What, I mean, I wonder how many folks from our church will really actually say, I'm gonna do it this week. I'm gonna take a Sabbath challenge. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna set aside this time, whatever that may look like. Then what about during your day? What about during your day? Where might you make space and time for God? What would that look like? For some of you are really good at this. Some of you are great at this. You get up in the morning, you have a specific routine, like, I mean, like angels turn on the coffee maker for you and you have your coffee ready and you sit down in your special chair and that's awesome. That really is amazing. If that's you, I keep, in, like, keep going as long as that's connecting your soul to God. What would it look like for you to say, you know what, I'm actually gonna do it this week. What if I got up 10 minutes earlier and I went and I sat in the chair and I was just still, just still. I want to encourage you, having quiet, silent time with God while laying in bed, challenging. So I'd encourage you to actually get up and mark a separate sacred space. I'm going to sit here while the house is quiet, while the house is still. Or maybe for you, that will be at the end of the day. Everyone's kind of gone to bed. I'm actually going to do it this week. I'm going to put it in my calendar if I have to. I'm going to write a note on the wall so I remember, just do this today, 10 minutes. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's being quiet. Maybe for you, you just need to put some headphones on and let worship music actually minister to you. Let the words of other people pouring out their heart to God become your heart's cry to God. Whatever it is that connects your soul or you get most excited about while I'm talking about it, do that. Do that thing that connects you most to God. 10 minutes, and some of you are type A. You can do it three times a day if you want. You're overachievers and you want to overachieve at connecting with God. Awesome. Do that. Schedule it. Maybe use your lunch break as that time. Instead of just sort of going, you know, oh, I'm going to kind of come down and I want to, what if I said, okay, I'm going to take half of my lunch break, 10 minutes of my lunch break. I'm just going to sit and I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to be still. And I'm going to say, Lord, here I am. Here I am with you. And then to think about just the in-between times of your day. How do you make space for God in the unscheduled times in your day? I think one of the greatest battles you can fight for rhythm is to fire this as your boss. Fire your phone. It is not your boss. One day you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life and God is not going to ask you if you got your inbox to zero. He's not going to ask you if you used, you know, made all your meetings on time. It's not what he's going to ask you. He's going to ask you, how did you care for, what did you do to care for your soul? What did you do to leverage the one and only life that I've given you? So some of us need to fire our phones. And so that means when you get home, you need to hide your phone from yourself. What if you try that for one day this week? Like literally, have fun with it. Put it in a drawer and put it away. I have to hide mine under the pillow of our bed. I have to literally hide it because I don't trust myself. And I'll go grab my phone and I'll start connecting to everything else around me except the people who matter most to me who are right in front of me and to my soul, which matters most above all. So hide in your phone or maybe leave your laptop at work one day this week. What would, what would happen? Do you, like, would the world fall apart if you left your laptop? Some of you work with giant, outdated, old desktop computers. 
That's no problem for you to leave that at work. You should do that. But maybe for some of you, I mean, you know what? One day this week, I'm going to see what happens if I just leave work at work and I come home and I be present with God and be present with those that matter most to me. Maybe on your commute, that in-between time where you fill it with headphones or listen to the radio or whatever. What, what, one day this week in your commute, if, if, you go to, if you go somewhere to work, what if you went in silence, just real true silence, just quiet, still, just knowing that you're okay and that God is with you. In fact, you're okay because God's with you. Or maybe, again, it's worship music that you listen to and you just let that fill your soul as you're heading to the thing that you're going to next. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that we can do this. And there's great resources we just simply don't have time to get into uh, today. Two books I recommend you might want to jot down. Uh, The first is called Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Sacred rhythms. She walks in depth about what silence looks like and solitude looks like and fasting looks like and all these things that we do to make space for God, for rhythm with God. Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. The second book is actually by Ruth and John Ortberg. And that book is called An Ordinary Day with Jesus. I love that book. It's a real short, real small book, An Ordinary Day with Jesus, how you can begin to practice presence and actually like work rhythm with God into your life. And let me encourage you with this. I really hope you do it this week. I really hope you do. Let me tell you something that's going to happen that you can count on. It's going to be hard. And you're going to mess up and you're going to forget. And you're going to be all like, kind of beat up on yourself. Like, oh, I messed up again. We're connecting with God. And it can be frustrating. I would just encourage you to give yourself grace because it takes time to make time with God. It takes time to make time with God. But the hope is like, if you practice this for a week, then maybe you could go, for two weeks. Maybe you could incorporate a Sabbath. Like what if you said, okay, for the next month, every, you know, whatever the day is, I'm going to set this time aside and I'm going to do whatever I can do to rest and to connect with God. What might happen if we were to actually do that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much more present you might be with others? Can you imagine how much more present you might be with God? Can you imagine how much more present you might be with yourself, with your soul, with the thing that matters most if you sort of make rhythm, make space for God on a regular basis and see what God does, see what he actually does in those times. Can you imagine what next week would look like here at Soul City Church if we came here having made rhythm to connect with God? My hunch is it would be a very different experience for you and for this church if we were to do so. My hunch is that we would come with a very different awareness of God's goodness and presence in our life because we made the space and the time for God throughout our lives. So we're going to move into a time of response and reflecting and giving back to God. We're going to do something that's a part of the rhythm of what we do here at Soul City Church. We're going to really live in the reality of that great question that the Methodists would ask ask each other when they saw each other, how is it with your soul? We're going to give ourselves a a time to really reflect on that a little bit more and maybe even make uh, a response, make our response to God to say, you know, God, here is how it is with my soul. Here's where I'm at. Here's how it is. And I, I want to encourage you, we're going to move into a time of receiving our offering and we're going to do part of our giving back to God. And I just want to let you know why we do that every week. We're going to do that as part of our response to God. It's a, a way that we actually claim and name our dependence on God. It's how we say to God, I'm here and I trust you. 
I'm here, God, and I actually trust you, and so I'm going to give out of my resources to you. Many of us do that online. In fact, my wife, Jean, and I give as we give back to God. Part of our worship, part of our rhythm of giving, we do that online. It just helps us be more consistent, helps us to do that from a place where we can commit to the things that we actually say we want to do with God. But we do that as part of our gathering. We do that in part of our time here together so that we actually are reminded of that, that God is good and that we can trust him. He can actually be trusted. So I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to just take a time to kind of reflect and to respond and to give back to God and then to join together in a song and to allow ourselves to sink deep into the reality of God's love for us in our lives. So would you join me? Maybe for you, it's a posture of prayer that we take. Maybe open hands would be good for you, and we can just kind of stop and be silent and be still and, and, and really just take a moment to say, okay, God, I'm here, and here's where it's at with my soul. And then in a moment, the volunteers are going to come receive offering, and we'll respond to God together. So let's just take a moment, be quiet, be still. Reflect on what it means, God, to make, not hope for, but to make space and to make time for you in our lives, to make rhythm. God, would you help us actually practice what we've heard about today? Would you help us, God, to not just hope to find it, but to really work, God, to make this kind of space in our lives for you today? And God, I pray as we do, as we kind of give ourselves the grace and we take the time that it takes to make time with you, God, I pray that we would experience you, that we would meet with you, God, that we would know you that much more deeply and that, God, we would actually have a sense in our soul that thing that matters most, that you are here and that you are good and you've actually been waiting for us all along. So God, help us to come to you now and to be able to say, God, our desire is to be able to say that it is actually well with our soul. It is well with our soul. The demands of the world continue to swirl and twirl around us, but God, it can be, it is, it can be well with our soul right now. So we pray this in your name, acknowledging your loving presence among us right now. Amen.